I'm not not even you know in defense of service workers. Just like that takes a like who's gonna go out of their way just to write a Yelp review? Yeah, it's like go do something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not and sign up and yeah. be like this guy. Th- this guy left a fly in my soup and I'm angry about it. It's just it's. You but I, find- you know you have to respect what the guy's doing as critics. He is kind of doing our job. <laughs> He's well. He's a fuck. He's working for free. He's kind of a scab when you think of it. He's a, yeah. He's a fucking a letterbox bozo. That's what he's doing. Because yeah. he's because he's. Then he's, is he not so much different than us? <laughs> you know what, Eddie? I I respect service workers and. Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine going to the AMC and just getting really pissed off and just like going up to the manager, and be like, "I'm gonna write a negative re- review of this on Letterboxd." <laughs> If you guys don't give me free tickets right now, just not knowing or my how it money works. back, just using it like Sean Baker, yeah. very specific. Watch that AMC Woodland Hills sixteen, and it was terrible. <laughs> Watch that, and AMC. if that manager shows his face one more time, Sean Baker logging a film on Letterboxd, like watched at AMC, assaulted by my usher, dragged <laughs> out for inappropriate, you know, indecent exposure. <laughs> 140 Wait, so minutes. In this, in this scenario, <laughs> he's beat up by the usher on the way in, decides to stay, and then indecently exposes himself. Well, I got the, the order of events wrong. Oh, okay. Exposed. Then oh, the- so the, the usher. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and that's when the usher so unfairly assaulted him. Because doesn't the usher understand that the customer is always right? True. Well, that's, that's from his, you know, he's logging it himself. So, you know, he's got to get the facts straight for any legal case that might come of that that's true uh speaking of legal cases there are a few uh legal conspiracies and lawyer trickeries going on in our film but that's just that's just part of the equation of the film we're talking about this week the the bonus episode the after hours feed we're talking about a film from there's such a bad buzz on the recording right now do you hear it yeah, like beyond the laundry. Yeah, because the laundry is already bad. But hold on, let me let me let me do a quick fix on this real quick. Well, I just I asked Eddie about the washer and dryer, and he said they're pretty good. Well, I mean, like if it's gonna make that much noise on the recording, we might as well introduce it as the fourth mic on the episode. So we were kind of talking about our washer dryer situation, some of Malcolm's woes with his very slow dryer, and my very. Uh, also slow dryer at my mom's house, but you know, this set has treated me well since I've moved in other than it also, you know, making these kinds of noises while I watch movies. Oh, it's loud. It will like shake like a motherfucker sometimes. Like it sounds, it's bad. I believe the other intrusive noise has been cut out though. And we are ready to talk. I didn't even introduce the film. I said that there was some legal trickery wonder what the movie could be. There's legal trickery in a lot of movies. Are we talking about Michael Clayton? <laughs> no, that would rack up the likes, though. Imagine if we were just like, yeah, tomorrow uh, our double feature is going to be Michael Clayton and uh, Michael Clayton. And we just freaking got <laughs> epic about how much that you know, movie owns I, and how dudes just rock and all that kind of stuff. And I would pretend to like Michael Clayton for... Maybe two or three patrons. Patrons. I uh, I chose this Michael Clayton double feature because I just I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about the scene where Tilda Swinton is a bitch. Damn. Okay, well, you're gonna have to refresh me because. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we're talking about another film that came out just after that. You know, the, Michael Clayton was wowing audiences while <laughs> David Eddie's Mamet. Clayton beef is. I I kind of like Michael Clayton for the record, even though it's not it's not cool. I'm doing it even though it's not cool to do so. Well, I mean, Eddie's makes the, it literally the only one that I know that has like. <laughs> but I that's what the podcast is for. We got to bring. Are you know specific specific gear grindings to the table? Well, I'm narrowing down the picture. You know, Michael Clayton was just the hook. I'm narrowing it down like a good introduction paragraph to a high school essay. True. While audiences in America were being wowed by Michael Clayton, David Mamet was putting the final touches on his film Red Belt, the 2008 film that we will be talking about today. Um, give me one second because I already forgot how to pronounce his name. It's all good. David Mamet. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Mamet? (laughs) David Mamet? One of my favorite French directors. (laughs) Chiwetel Ejiofor plays Mike Terry. And Mike Terry is a mixed martial arts coach. Uh, He also does some training for the Los Angeles Police Department, and he has quite a series of uh, strange events that kick off this film by David Mamet. Uh, also, I will say, shot by Robert Ellswit. This is the tail end, I guess, of him working for Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, I guess this is the year after he shot There Will Be Blood, uh, composed beautifully in scope. And so we get this crazy situation where a cop... Uh, who is working, uh, or sorry, a cop who is taking MMA lessons uh, at Terry's dojo uh, gets accidentally uh, attempted murdered by a, a lady who is, you know, clearly not all there in the moment, played by Emily Mortimer, uh, our old friend from. Nicole Hall of Center is lovely and amazing. I thought I had seen her in more, but it's pretty much just that. Uh, but anyway, so she like almost kills this cop. And uh, there, there's just all these situations that seem totally implausible. I mean, it's just a strange like course of events that like all feel like thematically necessary in like testing a man's like faith to his principles. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of like the arc of a traditional plot, I feel like is very weird. No, that's something. Yeah. Like going into this movie, you know, I see T- Tim Allen's second build and I think like Tim Allen's about to be like an MMA coach and mm-hmm. coach Mike Terry to the top, you know, top belt. But you know, I it, like you guys said, it, it is like, it's a strange course of events that like, and I think also kind of like where the movie ends to ends in a place where you wouldn't traditionally end a screenplay and so mm-hmm. like that that kind of plays into like like i don't know just the structure of everything before it seems like okay maybe we'll get more into that you know after the you know his fight or something but you know you don't really get that so i don't know it like in 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 that way this movie moves kind of fast because it because mm-hmm. because you have like these events that happen and like you're not sure like what's what's like the main portion of this movie it's like yeah. are we in the main portion of this movie yet and it's you don't really feel that until maybe he starts training like what an hour in or something yeah well the thing is uh 
the few Mammoth movies I've seen, it seems like he kind of sets up a really cool genre angle on a kind of like milieu and in a group of characters and such. And it, it's deceiving both to the audience and the protagonist. Uh, it's deceiving in the sense that you think you're going to get a certain type of genre movie and you almost never do because you always just get a David Mamet movie. And it's deceiving to the protagonists because usually they're at the tail end of some charade, something where they got showed up by either the powers that be or people that just outwit the protagonist. So there are all these different places we go in this. Like, is it going to be a fighting movie? Is it going to be a movie about uh, Mike Terry going Hollywood as he, you know, by happenstance meets Tim Allen, this washed up old movie star who is working on an Iraq war movie uh, directed by <laughs> Joe Mantegna, of course, because Joe Mantegna and Ricky Jay and Rebecca Pigeon all have to make their obligatory uh, appearances in this David Mamet movie. And so you get the Hollywood milieu, the MMA milieu both on the televised circuit and the local training circuit which also involves the LAPD and you also have uh, the the sphere of lawyers you know Emily Mortimer introduced kind of by happenstance it's then later revealed that she wandered in uh, out of self-defense she had been raped and is looking for a way of self-defense and so all of these pieces just fit together in a way that is kind of baffling, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It just comes together with this great balance of like really hard hitting kind of noir pulp uh, and just like beefhead, you know, fighting kind of movie stuff and uh, just pure mammoth, you know, yelling dialogue, just great exchanges, like phrases that feel like they're being yelled because of how fast they're being delivered and the way it's being cut together. There's just so much, I don't even want to say aggression, just the, the dialogue just comes in so hard in this movie. Yeah. All right. Something, cause I just watched this movie like right before we recorded and I, I got to get something cleared up. So Tim Allen, he's the movie man or whatever. Joe Mantegna is the director and then, like, does Joe Mantegna sell his, like, fighting idea to yeah. Ricky Jay? Okay. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. essentially what happens is... Uh, this is another weird aspect of the movie, too. Well, that that's the thing of it being revealed to the character and the audience kind of at the same time. But it's like, do you have a better eye for the scheme than Mike Terry? Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. the question. Is like, are you going to be one step ahead of the narrative or not? For me, I was behind the narrative because I was taking it in. And the, the style is so wonderful. And these performances, I mean, just across the board so invigorating and so great at building out this world of this kind of like art how almost art house meathead world that this <laughs> film takes place within uh so anyway mike terry meets uh tim allen's character he invites him on set he does a little work with the training unit they say hey let's buy your uh jujitsu training techniques uh, for the movie and then later on it's revealed that he sold it to the tv promoter for fighting ricky J. and then also it's revealed that this is like shaping up to be this like samurai versus brazilian jiu-jitsu pay-per-view match you know and it kind of allows you to explore each of those environments a little bit as well you have this brazilian american fighting culture and you have david mamet quoted as making a kurosawa movie in his mind here <laughs> and uh 
really indulging in the samurai mindset uh, with Mike Terry's third act turn. And yeah, I just feel like it's such a grab bag that all culminates with such force at the end that, I don't know, it's, it's definitely one of the best things I've seen from Mamet. Just kind of like the way the movie naturally unfolds, like you said, with like maybe the viewer being kind of behind the plot at times, you know, just taking all these separate parts in like I was just I was watching I didn't even have an opinion of what was going on for like the longest time and then yeah once you kind of uh, get to him going samurai mode or whatever it's like of course this is this is pretty awesome but like even before that like all I do enjoy all the fight scenes even the way the movie opens with like kind of like that fight training scenes and Mm -hmm. kind of the intensity that uh, you know Mike Terry has for that even you know just as a coach he's really you know, bringing, bringing the fire or whatever. And I, I feel like it's a, a good way to introduce his character. And it is, you know, it's one of my favorite type of characters, a man with principles, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I like, I, cause there's, there's a lot of like stuff that like could be goofy if not written the right way by Mamet. I mean, even kind of like the whole like uh blood sport esque kind of like uh, draw three rocks and mm-hmm. if you draw a black rock you have to be handicapped thing like that's like that's so ridiculous but yeah. but it, but like the mammoth finds a way to make it work kind of I don't know tonally with the rest of the movie and like kind of like him being so Mike Terry that is being so dedicated to jujitsu to the point where he would never take a professional fight mm-hmm. does seem like I don't know if there's if anyone holds that opinion but but like it, it, it's sick I like I like that type of character someone with the chip on his shoulder yeah I like that I mean I think that goes really well with the structure of it being this sort of like I don't know it feels a lot more theatrical because it's like very pointed like powerful scenes that I, I don't know are all trying to do unique things and it's just a series of like a, a principled man, like having those very much so shaken and watching Mike Terry get cucked on all fronts is like, I don't know, it's frustrating. You're feeling those frustrations along with him because of how unexpected they are. Like when uh, Joe Mantegna is at dinner and the way they show that with the wine glass and just him, st- it just the fact that he, it's so like, is beautiful and cinematic that he stays till the close of the restaurant <laughs> but there's no reason for him to do that yeah Mantegna just big times the shit out of him he just has the meeting with him just to have another meeting with him on the books after stealing and selling his idea or whatever and uh, yeah just leaves him behind there's so many great little moments like that such as you know Rebecca Pigeon here is playing Tim Allen's wife and kind of seduces Mike Terry's wife uh, into ordering 30 grand worth of fabric or something <laughs> like that for some dresses. And it, it's just all, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like it's the typical kind of house of games, uh, getting one over on the protagonist kind of thing. Even 50 minutes in, it's like, well, this is getting complicated, but it doesn't seem like it's all a charade. And then he even says very pointedly uh, at the third act, he says, I'm, I'm ending the charade, uh, yeah. like Terry mm-hmm. says, which is such a great line for like all of Mammoth's, you know, or at least the Mammoth work that I've seen, you know, with House of Games, it's like the revelation over the course of the third act of all of the facade around him is what fucks him over. Uh, and of course, like the actual ending, but, uh, and like homicide, you know, Mantegna discovers this like insane conspiracy 
but can't do anything about it really. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, it's just the complete like as as if it all of that was boiling over the surface for decades as Mamet was writing and directing these movies and plays. Uh, where this one, he just has no choice but to end the charade. Yeah, well, it's like he's aware that like one of the reasons he doesn't fight is that. I think there's some I think there's like a small little discussion about how like fights could be fixed or whatever. Like he's aware of the charade, but he's forced into it, you know, through circumstance or whatever. So well, it, it's also yeah. the extent to which the fight is fixed that True. takes him out of it. You know, so yeah. it's basically right before he's about to fight. The third act takes a turn where, you know, uh, the the charade of Joe Montaigne uh, and Tim Allen scamming him out of thirty thousand dollars and an idea for Ricky Jay or whatever uh, leads him to his only option being to fight in this tournament. So he has to fight in a competition for the first time in his life, and then finds out that not only is the idea for the undercard t- tournament stolen from him, uh, it's completely fixed, and so he refuses to fight. And you get this really great scene played in one long take where now he has just completely abandoned his wife because of the $30,000 thing, which is pretty funny. Well, I mean, she's like, she pulls the bitch wife move yeah. where she's like uh, with like Tim Allen and his wife. Like yeah. she's she's sold out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now he's with Emily Mortimer and they just kind of stand there together in like the, I, I don't know, an alley behind the stadium or a parking structure or something like that. And it's a really beautiful uh, long shot and it's you know the the dialogue is drowned out by room tone or whatever and the scene just ends with her slapping him (laughs) and then he goes back in and uh we have the fight between him and the the champion that's gonna go down on purpose for the main card of the pay-per-view event or whatever and so they have this you know the real fight the only real fight that's gonna happen that night is just in the hallways and all the the cameras that are covering the event turn to it and it's just a bloody you know bludgeoning fight and i don't know the uh the, the samurai determination is definitely there. Also, I mean, like I said, really good fighting sequences, too. I mean, mm-hmm. when he fucking ran up that wall for that, like, that last move, that was, that literally had me, you know, whooping a little bit. Like, yeah. that was, that was pretty insane. But, you know, thinking about, you know, Terry and, like, kind of his principal, his principles plus his profession, just get him into, like, a lot of weird places. Like, you would, like... He has connections to the LAPD. He has connections to Tim, you know, Tim, movie star Tim Allen for some reason, which leads <laughs> to another connection with this super shady, you know, Joe Man- Mantegna guy. And it's and then like, uh, yeah, and then him kind of going against the, you know, the current of everything, you know, instead of fighting in the ring, he'll fight in the hallway, you know, and that's and that's where he'll uh, he'll get his his glory. And then like. You know, you know what I mean. It's 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 a it's a weird kind of place to end on, like just kind of him going up to the ring and getting his belt. Like I get, like he like it. I get that like it's a symbolizing of end of the charade, but it's like it's just kind of like a very weird moment that like I feel like at least from my eyes, like Mamet doesn't take like a hard like perspective on to mm-hmm. me, like whether this is like a really great thing or like a well, he's not gonna have the money. Yeah, yeah. Board up the windows anymore. It's like He's a strange out a wife, but he does now have a rich lawyer girlfriend in Emily Mortimer. <laughs> it's just a strange, like a strange moment of glory. Yeah, that, yeah. And then it's just it's over. I think there's just such a weird ambiguity there to it because, like, 
he's like finally he's doing the moment of like reclaiming himself and standing up but it's just like there's such an insane brutality in all of that that's like i don't know I, I love him going through like the hallway yeah. of like security guards, just like flipping and twisting guys yeah. back and forth. And and when you were saying noir, it's like you really get that in that third act when he's in like the fighting rooms and like he's surrounded by like Joe Mantegna and Ricky Jay and you know the Brazilian fighter he's gonna fight and they're all telling him like you know just just do the just just do the fight you know what i mean yeah. you know we're going to fix it for you or whatever and it's like just <laughs> accept the, it the just joe montagna being in that room you just know that you're about to get the worst news ever basically <laughs> like he just he just pokes his head in that room right before he's about to fight and just see if he's like oh yeah what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> just realizing that all of these conspiracies all mesh together and not even like pointed against him just against his principles because they set this up so that he could still win that undercard tournament they're like look man we're cutting you a break here you know and yeah he's so principled he cannot do it like that i think there's just like there's a sense of like a cruel systemic indifference to him mm-hmm. it never feels like he's the main like in like a lot of like conspiratorial or like scheme style movies it feels like it's like pointedly out to get one person. Mm-hmm. Mike Terry just feels like collateral that no one fucking cares about and he gets lost in the mix. <laughs> I you know, I'm just thinking about like the whole police like guy subplot in this movie. Yeah, you know, like he kind of quickly exits this movie through I was very surprised by <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that was insane. Through suicide, you know. You you can't he he was a man about respect. He was a principled man too. You know. What well, I mean? yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> but his wife won't gain pension. No, yeah. That scene is insane. Like, yeah. so uh, this cop that was working uh, at the dojo after receiving his black belt, and I was like filling in for some training sessions while Mike Terry's like on set and doing all this Hollywood bigwig stuff <laughs> while he's soaring in the middle of this movie, and. Once the conspiracy is exposed, uh, he has no choice but to kill himself. (laughs) And you just get this great scene of his wife uh, yelling at Mike Terry about how she's not going to get any pension because her husband killed himself. Yeah. And I guess I guess that kind of calls into question. Right. It's like, of course, we love Mike Terry being a principled man. But it's like, how much does this stuff, you know, kind of really matter to the point where it's like. You know, people are killing themselves over it or whatever. It's kind of like it's interesting how like certain stances of his just led to just weird stuff like a a stolen watch causing a police officer to kill himself in shame. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just like that's just a legitimately surprising and I don't know, unusual beat in this movie that doesn't like connect back at the end but i love that so much yeah it really does feel like just setting the tone with more darkness and depravity kind of in a in a typical film noir way that i really like and speaking of that note ricky jay's character just the ultimate sleazebag you know uh fight promoter slash tv producer so good just purposefully setting up this totally like racist uh you know as you said blood sport-esque angle for this pay-per-view event and you know calls the fighters monkeys multiple times and just like has no regard whatsoever and it really does like feel like the very primitive uh almost beginnings of just like guys having other guys fight each other for money and just how disgusting it is kind of and how how far away those principles 
principles are from Mike Terry's principles, even though he takes part in it too. You know, it's just completely two different worldviews. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's training people for like defensive purposes or so. Yeah, that's like his guiding principle. But like, obviously, people use that for whatever. So I don't know. They're stupid principles. <laughs> Maybe get better principles well, and it, stick up for them. I think his principles are cool. Also, it's it is like because like MMA. Like I don't know that much, but I know that like the, of course there's like a history of corruption and like a lot of it is like based off like one family, like the Gracie family, and like I don't know. Like it's kind of fun having like that you know that Brazilian fighter kind of step in for like the real world kind of MMA corruption that mm-hmm. was going on. Mamet, Mamet was keeping you know an eye to the MMA before it got popular. Well, this up. was a very involved movie. I mean, Mamet himself trained a lot in jujitsu during the making of this movie. Apparently, he reached <laughs> yeah, purple awesome. belt status. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, even for the promo for this movie, they like cut two different trailers. One that was much more aimed at like mixed martial arts fans, and one that's more of like an art house movie trailer. Uh, or maybe just like more of a thriller trailer. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I do like that it feels outside of his usual milieu. But it might have something to do with him being more of a uh, more of a conservative after the turn of the century. Well, more after a, a certain event that happens uh, right after the turn of the century in America. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, 9-11. We'll never forget you, baby. But he, he does become a lot more of like... I don't know. He's he's always had that macho feeling to him, uh, but maybe the deconstruction of the macho stuff gets a little more hazy, and it's more about exploring other ideas within that uh, somewhat untested macho realm uh, after a certain point of his career. But I'd have to read and watch more to be more sure about that. Yeah, this is the latest. This is the first post 9-11 Mammoth movie I've seen, so mm-hmm. I... I'll have to keep an eye out for that. But uh, yeah, I guess you could kind of tell it being there in his earlier works. But then then again, like I wouldn't necessarily call his earlier works conservative. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just a guy who knows what he wants. Hey, he just he likes he likes to write. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, you can't you can't judge a man by what his characters say. <laughs> I I do see that a lot though with some people say like uh you know does he believe the words that he puts in you know William H Macy or Joe Montaigne's mouths in these plays these foul mouthed filthy plays they swear so much they say so many cuss (laughs) words it's insane and i think he believes all of them (laughs) david mamet believes in fuck (laughs) (laughs) have you seen many uh i mean so what have you seen like homicide house of games house of games spanish prisoner in this so spanish prisoner that's the one you said you weren't too hot on no yeah because it kind of like I felt like he was playing some of the same games as he was in like Homicide and House of Games, like with the narratively, which I like usually, mm-hmm. but like it just wasn't as compelling. Like it just wasn't. I feel like like maybe you know maybe it was a it was just a dud. You know, so people have a, a stinker now and then. It mm-hmm. was just kind of like normal mammoth um, structure, kind of done more lazily. And I didn't really like. It was like Campbell Scott and Steve Martin kind of playing off each other. Kind huh. of a kind of a weird, weird mixture, combo. and it's like they both. I don't know, like like Joe Mantegna, you know, or, or whatever, you know, a little bit more gruffer of a man than those two. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Those two are, you know, they're not. I don't know. They're not necessarily what I think of when I think of like mammoth dudes. Yeah. No, and it, definitely. And it didn't really fit. 
as well. Have you seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Oh yeah. He didn't direct it, but yeah. I I feel like that's still a good movie. I I, I feel like it's one that I liked in my younger, like days where I was more into kind of showy screenwritery movies. Uh, but I mean, Mammoth's one that held over in terms of my taste from that era. So I, I mean, like all the performances like still are like great too. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I especially think- Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would have to go back and see if Kevin Spacey's good in that because I don't remember him being very good in it. True. What's the best? Jack <laughs> Lemon, I love in that. Yeah, so Jack much. Lemon's great. That's, He's so sad. Yeah, oh. <laughs> he's what I remember most about that movie. Of course, then you have the ABC scene. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, but. there's one. Speaking of Jack Lemon, there's a. A TV movie that is, you might as well say it's directed by David Mamet because the, it's so undirected. It's so just like, you know, typical TV movie, point and shoot style, almost unstylized, but uh, a, a Mamet play turned TV movie called A Life in the Theater starring Jack Lemon and Matthew Broderick. Wow. And it's uh, just an old actor and a young actor walking around talking about acting and it's not <laughs> so hot that sounds right <laughs> that, that, that is i guess yeah david mammoth writes a shit ton of plays too He's yeah i've read movies. quite a few i uh, think you know i took a playwriting class in college where the professor was very into david mammoth so i read quite a bit of it and i gotta say the the plays are pretty funny like it really leans into just like dudes saying cuss words and racial epithets and stuff <laughs> Yeah, like that's that's the thing. Like, I when Mamet hits, like I think he's really on, really talented guy. Can't take that away from him, of yeah. course. But like, Matt, Mamet could be a little off, and like I feel like some of the stuff just becomes a little bit more goofy. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's theater, and he gets into that's kind true. of theater uh, structural gimmicks and stuff like that. Like I saw this one thing he directed. It's like a short uh, Samuel Beckett play, Catastrophe. And it, I don't know the art house wanky theater stuff. I just never like pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I like Mammoth because it's like a man's theater. <laughs> <laughs> He's reclaiming it. Yeah. For, no, but yeah. some some of his theatrical work uh, is a little like you know I don't know just guy people repeating dialogue a lot and like things that you're supposed to figure out you know. And yeah. I'd rather watch a movie. No, yeah, and like all the Mammoth movies I've enjoyed, like there was like I th- like I thought Red Bolt, Red Bolt, Red Bolt, Red Belt. I thought Red Belt looked really good. Like I yeah. thought it was a really well shot movie. Same with Homicide and House of Games. Oh, he came out the gate as a good director. Yeah. Absolutely, I feel like may- maybe the adaptations of his plays sometimes feel a little more stage bound. Uh, but this you know uh, these three written and directed ones that you just mentioned all incredibly stylish and very much cinematic i guess to say like they're yeah sure the the dialogue might be the most stylized aspect of it but it uses visual storytelling you know to a very great extent and all shot beautifully any uh any final words jt you gonna be fighting anytime soon um maybe i don't know only in defense but it, someone could attack me very soon this it, was my first uh mammoth directorial effort mm. so i'm curious from here there's a jiu-jitsu gym near here okay mm-hmm. if you know if you get into that man you you're, you might be well up the ranks we could yeah. we could all join a class together that's true. i think that would be great i think that's exactly we what we need fight to do each other <laughs> no i just mean we could get strong True. as a unit well that's hey man that's part of the fun in class rolling around <laughs> rumbling 
I also like the guy in this movie who was doing like the cigarette sleight of hand magic, and then it turns out he's the one drawing the marbles at the end. Like that's how yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how Mike Terry realizes that the fix is in with the marbles. Uh, that guy's awesome. Reminded me of the sleight of hand trickery of Ricky Jay in the special that David Mamet directed, which you should all check out. Uh, there's like a low res version of it on YouTube. Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. I just rewatched that and. It's so fucking cool. It's just him doing cool card tricks for an hour. See, see, here's the thing. Like, I think I like Ricky Jay and I like his stage presence, but he's doing magic up there. It's, you know what it's I mean? More of like <laughs> a cool parlor card guy. Yeah, like, it's like, more like, more like, like a, something a guy would do at a bar yeah. as opposed to wear a top hat. Well, he's doing a mix of like card tricks and uh, how you cheat at cards. You know, it's a little uh, bit. It, it's the gambler and the magician both come to play. Okay. See, yeah. Cause it's like I, you know, I is like, is that gonna be like now you see me? You know, when I watch that Ricky, <laughs> no, Jay, it's David not gonna Man be like special. now you see. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just him. It's not very directed, I guess you would say. It's just yeah. him. It, I mean, I mean, maybe it's directed in the theatrical sense, but the camera is very standard. Yeah. Uh, but it there, there's a quote in it that he says. Uh, that he says, uh, all professions are conspiracies against the lady. Uh, and not lady like women, but L A I T Y, which I guess means like the lay person, the the common person, not not an expert, not a wealthy person or anything like that. And I think to say that basically every job is a conspiracy against normal people is very true, and also something that can very easily be applied to all of the mammoth that I've seen. True. Well, I mean, that's why you got to learn card tricks, I guess. You know what I mean? That's you right. Escape that thing because, like, you know. When I when I saw that scene and read about it at first, and like you said, it is funny that he's like drawing the thing at the end. I'm like, I was like, does man like? And I wasn't even judging him hard. Like this was, but like, does Mammoth think like magic's cool? You know what I mean? Like, is that he was like? He does think magic. I got absolutely thinks magic's cool. He's he's like, I gotta put this scene in this movie. You know, I, just I a think little bit of magic. It's so stupid that I think it's cool too. Like sleight of hand magic in a movie is so like conceptually stupid because it's a movie you could fake anything uh but it still gets me yeah art whatever happened to movie magic and not magic in movies <laughs>